Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Good stuff. All right, friends, so let's open up our Bibles together. If you have a Bible with you, you can open it to the second half of your Bible called the New Testament. And the fifth book, you will find the book of Acts. And we are in Acts chapter 6 this morning. And the book of Acts is the story of the early church. Here, after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has given birth to this new movement, we see a bunch of young, feisty people who have had their lives changed by Jesus, transformed by Him, and now they are seeing their environment, their cities and towns transformed by this message of Jesus. And as we're continuing to preach through the book of Acts, we're now in a series that we are calling Those Jesus People, Those Jesus People. People. And the reason for it is on the 5th of December, when we end this stretch in Acts, it's going to end on this verse. Acts eleven twenty six. it says, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. They were first called Christians. So Antioch was a town in the ancient Near East. And for the first time in history, these Jesus followers were called Christians. Now, in the time of Jesus, you had these people that were so devoted to Nero Augustus that they were eventually called Augustinians. And you had another group of people that were so devoted to Herod the Great, one of the rulers, that they were called Herodians eventually. And so here the statement is made that this group of Jesus followers, they were so devoted to the person of Jesus that eventually they start calling these Jesus Christ followers Christians. And I think this is profound because listen to this. It means, very opposite to what people think today often, is that these Jesus followers, they were not known for the fact that they were for politics or they were for holy wars or for or against vaccines, whichever way you fall on that one. And they were also not known for their opposition to certain things, anti-vax, anti-science, anti-gay, anti-this, anti-intellectual. They were known for one thing their devotion and passion for a person called Jesus. His life, His truth, and His way. And that's the thing that so gripped their hearts that people started calling in those Jesus people. Now, we have an analog for that in our modern age. We call it the fan base. Anyone have that? If you have a musician, you have a person, you have a band that you are so passionate about your devotion to that group eventually gives you a collective name, right? So the Justin Bieber fans worldwide, what are they called? They're called the Beliebers. There you have it, guys. Excommunicated from the church, right there. It was a test. Um, the Beyonce fans are called the Bay Hive. Why? Because she's the queen, right? So that's how it works. This one is a bit embarrassing. The, the Taylor Swift fans worldwide are called the Swifties. Um, and then, of course, the metal band Slipknot. Uh, their fan base is called the Maggots, uh, because Corey Taylor, the lead singer, he said once looking at the people just kind of writhing around at one of their live shows, they look like a bunch of worms. So he said, ah, oh, they are, they only called the Maggots, right? For some reason, that, that's not landing as the Swifties thing, but okay, that's fine. So that's why I love the fact that one of the commentators of the book of Acts, he says this, since members of this group constantly talked about Christ they were called Christians. They were so saturated with Jesus that eventually the people said, listen, those Jesus people so filled with Jesus' passion, Jesus' truth, the Jesus' way of doing life, it's taking us in. 
And so we looking at some of these characteristics of what makes Jesus people, Jesus people, because I want to say, friends, this is what our city and our country needs. It needs people so passionate about Jesus and His way that it'll bring transformation to the very depth of our hearts and our communities and our cities and our country. So last week we spoke about the fact that these Jesus people, they were people of life, life. And let's read further today. Acts 6 verse 1. It says, in those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that they, their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. And so the twelve summoned the whole company of disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. So brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole company. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and they named all the other names, and they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and even a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. This is such a pivotal moment in the history of the church. And the thing that strikes me is you have these two contrasting almost energies in this, in this passage. The first, almost like a hamburger bun, it starts and it ends with this idea that the disciples were greatly increasing in number. So what is it saying? Guys, the church was winning. There was joy. There was forward momentum. Things were happening. And at the very same time as the church was winning, it says what? The greatest fear in the heart of a pastor. There arose a complaint, right? What are we saying? There was frustration. The mission came to a halt. There was brokenness. There was something of an of a ana in the heart of the church at that very same time. So what is it saying to us? There is a beauty and a brokenness in the church always. So what was happening? There was a system that had been set up in the early church that the widows would be cared for. But as the church was growing, this system was now failing because the Greek-speaking Christians, they felt that the Hebrew-speaking Christians, they were being favored by the system. Friends, hashtag drama in the church, right? <laughs> Happens all the time. And so now what? Now there's a challenge. And what happens? Because this happens today, friends. I see it all the time. People are looking for the perfect church. I'm looking for that church that speaks to my heart. And you know, it's now my fourth church in the, couple, the last couple of years, but I'm going to find it, that perfect church. I even hear people saying things like, if we can just, as the modern church, just go back to the purity and the holiness of the early church. Have you read the book of Acts? Have you read it? It was never the case, and it will never be the case. Why? Because we have the reality that God, who is just and perfect and holy and loving, He chooses to work through people like you and me that are fallen and just plain stupid at times, right? That's the reality. So there is always in the church the two competing energies of there's winning, there's truth, there's, there's forward momentum, there's joy, and there's brokenness. There's a beauty and a brokenness in the church. Friends, we see it in Hatfield. 
Last year, March, we launched the church. Yes, joy, right after that. It's the lockdown. And soon after that, we lose our venue. We plant two new community groups somewhere last year. People getting connected to community. It's beautiful. Right after that, two families get offended and they leave the church. Just now recently, we had the highest income month ever. People generously giving to the church. And right after that, we have the lowest income month ever in the history of Hatfield. We now recently... You know, we have our first ever online partners evening during the mini lockdown, and it was beautiful, joy and celebration. Right after that, we have our first ever in-person partners evening, and it's a bit of a disaster. It was a flop. Just now, we finish off in April as we have a new venue. In one month, we finish off our building project financially. We go and serve at Afrikaans Hospital twice, and we feed pastors in the townships And right after that, I see people in the church just disengaging and just doing their own thing. There's a beauty and a brokenness in the church. So what's the answer? Because what I don't see in the book of Acts is perfection. I don't see a perfect church. But what I see is people that are fully devoted. People that are fully engaged. Because guess what, friends? I don't have high and low emotional and relational moments with random people on the streets. I don't have it with my ex-girlfriend from high school. I have it with people that I'm fully devoted to, right? You know this, family, friends, people that you really care for, the most beautiful moments and the most difficult moments. So what am I saying? If you want to get the very best out of the church, you know what you should do? You should fully commit. Take all the steps forward. Don't stand on the fringes of the church observing and just being there every now and then. Fully step into the church and know from the get-go that there will be some challenges. There will be some things that go wrong. And the issue is not that those things happen. The issue is our sign, obviously, but the other issue is that those things have to be tackled and dealt with. The fact is not that things go wrong. The issue is we have to do something about it. And so can I maybe encourage us this morning? We, friends, cannot allow cynicism to enter into our hearts when it comes to certain people in the church or the church as a system. No, we have to keep our own hearts healthy. Do you hear me this morning? We have to keep our hearts healthy with regard to the church because it's the plan A that God has hatched for mankind. And you know how you do this? Thank you for that aim, Manma. It's just him, friends. You are more than welcome. Mana is doing like a standout job, but you are more than welcome to say something if it hits you in your heart. Or boo, if it's like, yeah, Joe, come on. Boo. Friends, you know how you keep your heart healthy today? If there is an issue with someone in the church that you are avoiding, pick up the phone today and speak to them and say, this is where I am. If in a previous season, if you get a phone call like in the next couple of minutes, I'm sorry. Um, If you have been serving in some previous season and you burned out, then step back into serving and do it in a more healthy way. If you feel that I'm alone in the church and no one reaches out to me, then organize a coffee with people. Get them into your space and get into their space. Friends, if you have an issue with me, with my preaching or my leadership or my hairstyle, then come and speak to me. Can I get so many WhatsApp messages after the sermon? 
friends, we've got, we've got good friends in the Western Cape, brilliant couple, super committed to their church. But they tell the story of just after leaving basically university, starting into a church, he's a doctor, and they at one stage got so frustrated because of some of the decision-making in the church, and they look back at this with such regret. They say that they decided to no longer give financially. That was their way of punishing the church for what they felt wasn't being done right. And they look back and they say, you know what, that was so immature of us. I have another friend, brilliant businessman, but he's always been involved in the musician kind of world of the church, the worship space. And he was going for it in Joburg in one of the churches there. And he said at one stage he was so frustrated with the commitment of the other people in the worship space. People not practicing, people pitching up late. 99 let you know, oh, sorry, I'm cutting my hair this morning. I'm not going to be here. He said he was so frustrated that he just decided, listen, I'm done with this. Friends, that is not how we deal with the brokenness of the church. Listen to what Ephesians 4 says. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Do you hear that? If we leave these things unaddressed in the church, we are giving the enemy an opportunity in our community. So the very opposite of that is what I see happening in this church. They were a people not known for leaving things as they were. They were a people of service. They were so servant-hearted. They were serving one another, and they were serving the city to such an extent that the world would never be the same again. There was a servant-heartedness in the early Christians that those Jesus people, when an issue arose in the church, you know what those Jesus people would do? They would roll up their sleeves and get it done. And because of that servant heart, they were not just a people of life, but they were a people of service, and it changed their cities and towns forever. So, for you and I, there is something of a recognizing that needs to happen, something of a releasing that needs to happen, and something of a remembering that needs to happen. First up, you and I need to recognize the calling of service upon our lives. We need to recognize the calling of service upon our lives. Verse 3, highlight this or underline it in your Bible. It says, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom you can appoint to this duty. That's strong language. When I hear the phrase, appoint to a duty, I'm not hearing something like, when it's convenient or comfortable, I will help out a little bit. Now, I see something of a lifestyle. I see something of a posture in everything that I do. If there's an issue, I will jump in. But I think our challenge is that our definition of this idea of servant-heartedness or being a person of service, I think our definition is messed up. Because we hear a servant-hearted person, and especially the men, we hear, oh, well, I'm that doormat. I'm like the errand boy, and everyone just walks over me in my office, in my family. I'm just so servant-hearted. Friends, I don't know where we get that, but it's not from the Bible. Because in the Bible, over and over again, a servant-hearted person is shown to us to be someone who bravely and boldly sees an issue and makes it their issue. We see people who say, if we see something with regard to the family of God or the mission of God, we will take responsibility. 
I will take ownership of what's happening in God's family and God's mission. You know, my wife as an estate agent, she's been in so many homes, and this is not always the case, but very often the difference between someone who's the owner of a house and someone who's simply leasing it. Because you walk into a space and that crack in the wall or that leaky pipe or the dust that's being collected in the corner there, if the owner sees that, what does he do? It's my issue. But the person leasing is like, yeah, whatever. Friends, we are called to have an ownership mindset when it comes to the business of my father. We are called, whether it's the gathering of the church on Sundays and on Wednesdays and community groups or the going of the church in your office, in your commune, in your gym, in your family, in your house, your street, your neighborhood, your complex. We are supposed to have an ownership mindset. If there's an issue, it's my issue. That's what God has called me to do. And that's why I love verse 2, because it says that the Word of God is expressed both in the preaching and in the practical help. Did you see that? And it's saying both of those things are expressions of the Holy Spirit. People need to hear the Word of God preached, and they need to hear the Word of God practiced. Both of those need to happen, and a church should be championing both of those things. That's so important, and that means that every single one of us have a unique calling and gifting, yes, but our focus and our goal is the same. It's the kingdom of God through His church. So it's important, friends, that whether it's in the gathering of the church or the going of the church, Mondays to Saturdays, we need, and in your life, people need to hear the message of Jesus from you And they need to see the lifestyle of Jesus through you. Both of those things. So I want you to recognize that there is a calling of service upon your life. And why is that so important? Because number two, there is a release that's supposed to happen in terms of the power of service through your life. There's a releasing that's supposed to happen in the power of service through your life. Read with me once again, verse seven. You can highlight all three of these. What was the result of a people of service? It says, verse 7, So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem greatly increased the number. And even a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. What is it saying, friends? It's saying when the people of God took up the calling of service, it's saying that their lives and the communities around them started changing. There was a power that was released that started transforming hearts and neighborhoods. And what is it saying? It says, first up, that more and more the message of a God who is full of love come to find people lost and abandoned. That message took place and took ownership in more and more hearts in the city. But secondly, it was saying that more and more people started turning their allegiance and faith away from sex and money is my God to Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. And thirdly, it said that even the spiritual atmosphere of the city started shifting. All of that, why? Because the people started taking ownership of the going and the gathering of the church. There's a power there when people say, I will take up the calling of service. Let's look at that just for a second. So there is a power when you and I take up service in the gathering of the church, maybe on a Sunday. 
I love the fact that this morning you walked in here and you were like, what the heck is going on here? Some of the OCD people, I could see, you were like, I I can't do this. Can I just say, it doesn't always look like this, friends. But when you walked in and the chairs and the trash and the chaos in general, what did it leave you with? This is disorganized, it's ineffective, and it stinks. That is the picture of the church when we don't take co-responsibility for it. It's ineffective, it's disorganized, and it stinks in the city. And maybe you say, Joe, I hear you, but listen, I'm not one of the elders in the church. I'm not one of the leaders. I'm not on full-time staff. Well, luckily, this passage is five steps ahead of you because it was not the elders or the leaders of the church. It was the people of the church who took up ownership of the mission and the family of the church. Friends, why do we serve in the gathering of the church on a Sunday or on a Wednesday? Because Hatfield is our home. I'm an owner of this space. It's my task from God to use my time and my treasures and my talents to see the church flourish and go forward, to roll up my sleeves. So whether it's in our kids' ministry, whether it's in the production team, whether it's the worship team, whether it's prayer, whether it's counseling, whether it's the Sunday crew, guys, find a space where you can take ownership. Amen? (laughs) I got you. I love it. There's a church in the far east of Pretoria, and I have a ton of respect for them. And I'll never forget hearing the leaders saying that one morning in their production space at the back there, where it's the visuals and the sound and, and all of that, he said they had a brain surgeon, an electrician, and a university student sitting right next to one another serving that morning. Guys, that's beautiful. That is the church. You know where I learned all my deepest lessons on the value and the beauty of the church? I promise you it was not when I was getting training on how to preach or to pray or to counsel or to cast vision or to lead. It was when I was packing chairs for years and years and years of my life. We were in a school hall as a church for many years, and we would pitch up two hours early every Sunday for four services, and we would get all of that stuff out there. It's chairs, it's sound, it's hospitality, and I would be packing chairs with other men in the church, and I would get to know them and see their hearts. Whether they were white-collar, blue-collar guys, whether they had big families or small families, single married, those guys taught me about the beauty of the church. That's how it works, and that's why I love the fact that the apostles didn't over-spiritualize this. Did you see this? There's an issue in the church, drama in the church. Ah, thoughts and prayers, guys, thoughts and prayers. No, they said, okay, Holy Spirit, give us a solution. So what does ownership mean? It means that you have a problem-solving mindset in the church. Friends, I promise you, very often some of you come and tell me in like master's thesis style, all the issues in the church. I promise you, I can do that as well. I have a very critical mindset. I can show you more problems than you can think of in the church, but anyone can do that. There's a second part that needs to happen. Listen, I see this in the church as a problem, as an opportunity, as a future prospect, and I'm not just willing to voice it, I'm willing to take responsibility for it. Don't be so spiritual that you're not serving some way. Thoughts and prayers, brilliant, but let's roll up our sleeves because that's what I see in the church. 
And that's why I think it's so important that we address a misconception in this passage because I think some people, I hear it even preached that way, that the, the, the preaching of the word and prayer was elevated above the practical help. That's not the truth. That's not what the passage is saying. Because that would create this weird kind of sacred and secular split in the church. I promise you there was no religious elite in the early church. What it was saying is that every person, regardless of your gifting, was taking responsibility. That's what it was saying. Whether my gifting is here or my gifting is there, my heart was to say I'm jumping in and making the church work. So I want to acknowledge, friends, Hatfield is still a young church. There are churches in our city that are more than 100 years old. In March, we're going to be three years old. So I realize that there are not like a million things where you feel my exact passion and gifting can be fully expressed here. That's okay. Take responsibility for where we are now. And let's see the church become more robust as we go. Because otherwise, it's like parenting. You know, maybe you have a two-year-old as a dad, and you're like, listen, my passion, I come alive as a father when I'm kicking the soccer ball with my son on the field. So until my son can do that, I'm just not engaged. I'll just wait for him to catch up. That's not how it works. You have to be engaged with your son at the age that he is now. And yes, we get to a place where you're in your sweet spot. So find a space now where you can say, I can throw my energy into and let's see the church become more robust as we go. Amen? I'll just keep on getting you with that one. Because the church, the Bible says, is like a family. It's like a building. It's like a body. When it is functioning well, people's lives change. Had a conversation just last week with one of the couples in our church, and they said, in 22 years of marriage, they've never been in such a beautiful place as they are now with their family. Why? They said, because of Jesus in the church. I was struck recently hearing the testimony of one of our young guys who got baptized recently, and he said, I felt so lost coming as a student to the city. But there was something of a a U-turn and transformation in my life. Why? Because of Jesus in the church. Had the privilege last week of, of chatting to one of my old friends from Dr. Dave Bloom. I saw that guy radically coming to salvation at a first chess camp that we organized. And now he's being set up over two years from now to go and plant a new Dr. Dave campus in a space that we've never been in before as a church. And you know why that is? It's because of Jesus in the church. There's a power in the church when we all take up that calling and the power of service is released. But there's also not just the gathering of the church. What about the going of the church? Monday to Saturday. I still wait for that sign that says, as you leave, now let's go and be the church. There's a power there. Verse 3 says, listen to this. This is profound. It says these men and women, they were of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom. So what is it saying? It was not simply people converted to Sunday attendance. There was a transformation in the character of the people. So in other words, wherever you and I go, Monday to Saturday, people should be able to say around us that, listen, I'm I'm maybe not bought into your beliefs yet, but we need these people here because the way they live, it makes a massive difference. Those Jesus people, we need them here. Because listen to this, it says they were people of good reputation. These were ethical and moral people. Does our government and our city 
Do our parastatals in our, in our economy and in our, in our you know, education system, does it need people like this? Oh, yes. It says they were full of the Spirit. So there was a joy and a hope in these people that no economy or no you know, uh, pandemic could shake from them. And it says they were full of wisdom. There was a vision in these people. And there was something of a hope in them that people had not experienced before. So what is it saying, friends? Yes, coming to church, we are worshiping, we are re-envisioning, we're gearing up to go. But guess what? Monday to Saturday, my parenting matters. The way that I do my schooling or my business or my studies, it matters. The way I express my sexuality, it matters. Whether I'm just hoarding money for myself or whether I'm investing in the kingdom of God through His church, it matters. Let me give you examples. Good character. My wife's boss, before we left Blum, we worked for the University of the Free State. He was a man. He was a Christian and an elder in his church, but a brilliant man in his work. But he was a man of high character. And even he was fair He was just in the way that he worked. And even though he had people of all different faiths and no faith working for him, when they even disagreed with some of the decisions that he made, they followed him almost blindly because he was a man of good character. Or how about this thing of being filled with the Spirit? Last year, I had the opportunity to speak to one of the Dr. O'Ferry Glenn partners, and he's a businessman, and he's the financial director of a big company in South Africa, and he would tell me how when they are thinking about budgeting and projections for the next year, he would pray for weeks on end, seeking God, seeking the Holy Spirit's creativity when it comes to where our business is going, full of the Spirit. Or I think about Donnie, who leads Dr. Bloom, the leader there. He is a brilliant parent, and he would often say how the Holy Spirit, just in moments, would just draw him to what needs to happen. So his son, the eldest son, he told him, listen, this is our culture as a family. If some of your friends want to go out drinking and get drunk, that's their choice, but that's not going to happen in our house. And so one evening, they have this big party there, and some of these friends bring alcohol with, and they start drinking. And Donnie just feels the Holy Spirit saying, go to your son, and he tells him, listen, come closer. This is not who we are. So I'm giving you 10 minutes to sort this out. And after 10 minutes, I will sort it out. Friends, that's good parenting. He's saying, I'm going to grow the responsibility and the character of my child. I'm with you. But even if you fail, I'm with you. We need the Holy Spirit or wisdom. I had the opportunity to speak to a partner of Doxodeo and someone who's heading up a program in the Hatfield area. And they are doing governance better than the government can do it. Everything from security to the potholes to the black bags getting taken away, the suicide hotlines for the students, the safety of the students, they are pioneering something that the government can't do. Wisdom. And what is happening now? The government's saying, maybe we should roll this out to other areas of Pretoria. We need people of character, spirit-driven and wise. It's a city of servants that will change the city. A city of servants. Just imagine with me today if every single home and office and class and space of recreation, if it were filled with people full of godly character, spirit-filled ministry and wisdom. So I want you this morning to ask the Holy Spirit, come and shift my thinking of Monday to Saturday so that every area of my life, I would start thinking of it in that way. I have a power that I can release through my life. And it's called service. 
Just last thing there, it says that even the Jewish priests came to Christ in numbers. That's incredible. What is it saying? It's saying, very much like the city of Pretoria, that the religious status quo was being challenged. Because the Jewish priests, unfortunately, had come to a place where their faith, their religion, it was no longer penetrating any part of their actual life. Friends, and I say this not as judgment, I say this as Jesus cries over the city. We have tons of people in our city. Maybe you are there this morning. And I profess a Christianity that does not actually touch any part of my real life. And so what I need to do is I have to have a separate life that I call my faith life or my religious life. And it has its own rhythms and weird ways of speaking, but it never actually touches my real life. And so I say this with honesty. I have young adults all the time that tell me we are Christian, but we moved in together before we got married without even thinking twice about it. I have young people telling me I'm a Christian, but I'm getting drunk and I'm having sex with everyone. It makes no difference. I prayed a prayer once at school. We see people who say, listen, my contribution to the church, it's completely negotiable. Of course I'm in the church. One of the fairy glen leaders told me recently, after the lockdown, he met a guy in Pick and Pay, and he told him, hey, you know, he comes up to him, hey man, how's it going, this and this, and he says, this guy still thought that the leader that led the church six years ago was still leading. He calls himself, this is my home, this is my church. I haven't been here in six years. It's not infiltrating any actual part of our lives. My sexuality is mine. My money is mine. My career is mine. But here it says, when the city is confronted by a people that have a heart to serve the city from a place of Jesus, it challenges that religious status quo to its core and people are transformed. There's a power. It's getting very quiet you now. There's a power that's released into the city when we take up service. And therefore, last thing. Recognize this and release it, yes, but where does it come from? It comes from remembering the God of service in your life. It comes from remembering the God of service in your life. Friends, I'll just say it on your behalf. If you try today and be a person of service, if you try and set up your life as service to God, you will burn out and break apart. If I try and do this from the outside in, I will burn up my life on the altar of service. No, this passage speaks of a fire that comes from the inside out. I'm not trying to win the favor of a God and His love and acceptance through service. I am serving from a place of love and acceptance through Jesus. And how do we do that? How do we get there? Let me tell you, that life gives you, let's say a society gives you two options mainly how you can tackle your life. The first is the secular option that says that you give your life in service of career, reputation, success, sexual pleasure, getting a nice body, making sure that you're climbing the, the career ladder. And if you do that committed enough, you will find some kind of peace and joy and purpose and fulfillment. But go and ask the person who for decades has given their life to have a nice body, Ask them how much joy and eternal purpose that has brought them. Ask the person who's given up their, their, their family and their marriage and their, the respect of their adult children to build that business and to get to the top. Ask them how much joy and satisfaction it's brought them. 
That's the one option. The other option is the religious option, where it says, you to the gods, God, Gaia, the universe, you give your life in service of that by giving faithfully, serving, going to the temple, to church, to synagogue. You pray, you go to Mecca, you do these things, and if you do them well enough, you will find a sense of peace in eternal life. But once again, go and ask the dads and moms who with gritted teeth have done religion for decades and ask them how much joy and peace it's brought them. And that's why Christianity is so compelling. Because here it comes flipped on its head. Here comes a God who sees us lost in our brokenness. He sees us pursuing sex and money as the way to fulfill something in my heart, and it's not working. He sees us even when we are doing charity. He knows that we are doing it mostly to just soothe our conscience or to try and strong arm God into blessing us. He sees all of that, and what does He do in response? He steps into our situation, and He comes to serve us with His own life. He comes to serve us so that we would have new life. Guys, just think about this. The very last moments of Jesus' ministry on earth. He sits with his disciples and John 13 says this. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he'd come from God, that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, he lay aside his outer clothing, he took a towel and he tied it around himself and next he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet. Think about this. In the Jewish culture, in a, in a mud, muck, dust-ridden culture where you're walking around in your, in your sandals, it was, a, it was a shameful thing to wash people's feet. And yet the God of the universe steps into the muck and the dust of my life. And he says, I come to wash you. I come to wash you. Mark 10, 45 says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, the degree to which that melts your heart that it captures you every morning, that it comes to rearrange your desires, that it comes to show you that the unending love of a God for you, that is the degree to which your life will become one of service. When the God of service becomes the standard for your life, because God has set the temperature with his own life of what the power of service can do. So, action item for this morning. I'm going to ask the guys in a minute or so. We're just going to put on some music and give you just a minute or two just to contemplate, just to spend time with the Holy Spirit. And here's the two things. When it comes to the gathering of the church, I want you to take one of our Next Steps cards out of a chair if you can find it. And I want you to look at that and say, is there a space, if I'm not serving yet, that I say, I want to throw my energy into this church? Find a space. But secondly, when it comes to the going of the church, Monday to Saturday, just ask the Holy Spirit today, Holy Spirit, what is one area of my life where I realize the kingdom can come to so powerfully, but I, I didn't realize that I've not been taking ownership of it. And there is a calling upon my life in my office, in my home. I really have this thing because I'm struggling with that. 
as a dad, I so experienced that this morning, that the fathers would ask the Holy Spirit to say, give me an ownership of my kids, an ownership of their well-being and their faith. So I'm going to ask you just those two things. When it comes to the gathering of the church, find a space, let's serve together. When it comes to the going of the church, ask the Holy Spirit, where can I take ownership in my life? Let's recognize it, let's release that, and let's remember the God of service. Amen? Let's do that.